Buongiorno, and welcome to episode 151 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. In case you didn't guess it from that uh, from that Italian intro, we are taking our second trip back to Italy uh, here on the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast for part nine of our 1995 retrospective series. We're going to be talking about the Italian film Il Postino, a.k.a. The Postman, Manny. Um, normally here I ask you if you're excited about this movie, but we uh, we were a little lackluster coming on tonight. We, we were like, okay, this one, is, uh, let's put it this way. We're recording two podcasts tonight, and uh, this is probably the second most exciting of, of each of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I have much else to say about that. I know it's a glowing recommendation for the rest of this podcast here, but God, there's, there's some that you're just excited about and some that you're not. Usually we manage to have a good time anyway, but this one I was not excited to watch in the first place. And you were it, you weren't even way, ex- you were oh sorry I didn't mean to cut you off you weren't even excited to watch this one no uh, I uh, which is maybe a little bit unfair because huh. uh, because I didn't really know a lot about it okay um, but I uh, I didn't have high expectations and it was uh, it was impossible to find <laughs> it was absolutely impossible to find I know that you being the nerd that you are tracked this down weeks ago yep and or ordered it on dvd yeah um turns out this is a, I, I didn't even think about this but you did that because it is completely unavailable on all streaming services and i don't just mean for free i mean you can't buy this on google play you can't rent it you can't get it on itunes uh you you can't even pay to get this movie online in most places correct um you will know i, uh, I i've taken uh, many a trip to the pirate bay in my day <laughs> um, I, I've, I've pirated the odd movie in my day even then uh with english subtitles shockingly difficult to find uh it was it was quite the journey to get there so i guess this is a long-winded way of saying there was no way this movie could have ever lived up to any expectation <laughs> this this movie needed to be excellent um so i i was uh i don't know i was, I was not too excited to go watch it in the first place interesting I, uh, I, I was because it's one of the rare films I haven't seen. Yes. Well, that's one aspect of it is you and I rarely have an opportunity to watch a movie that neither of us have seen. We rarely have that opportunity. A lot of the time it's recommendations and a lot of the time it's you recommending movies to me mm-hmm. that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And when I do want to recommend a movie to you, you always say, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when I've lived twice as long as you. Yeah, I guess that is what happens, and you've spent all of that time watching movies. Yes, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. But with all of that being said, I think we are going to have some stuff to say about this movie. I think we're going to have fun discussing it, because we always do, mm-hmm. because we have fun doing the show, and it's awesome. Um, but, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Uh, Manny, where can the people find us on social media if they would like to do so? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can find us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. They can find us wherever they get their podcast because they're listening to us right now. And that's everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think it's a good idea to start a podcast episode with a description of why I'm not excited to talk about this movie? Probably not. I would imagine probably not, right? There are probably better ways to begin. I'm going to go on a record and say this is going to be our least listened to episode of the year. Well, well, this is something that worries me, right? (laughs) Is I really hope people are listening to this episode because 
You cannot watch this movie anywhere unless you order it on DVD weeks in advance, and nobody is going to do that. So I'm really surprised. I would really be surprised to see people listen to this episode. If hopefully they just listen to it because they they want to hear us talk. If anybody out there that is listening has actually watched this movie, or because of this part of this episode, is going to watch this movie despite our glowing pre-recommendations. Yeah, this is not great. <laughs> I want you to contact me on the aforementioned social media, mm-hmm. and I might have a surprise for you. Wow. I'll, I'm going to put that out there, but I'm going on the honor system. So if you've already seen it, that's not going to count. But if somebody's going to go out of their way to watch this movie, I, I want to hear about it. So please oh. reach out to me. The good news there, Manny, is that you will not be disappointed because nobody has already seen it. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> if, if you haven't seen this movie, at the very least, nobody I know has seen it. I guess we'll find out. Yes, we will. And if, uh, if, and if our listeners out there have already seen this movie, then I would love to hear from you as well. Yeah, I'm, very, I'm curious now. Uh, Manny. Yeah. Other than Il Postino, what did you get up to this week? I got up to a lot. Yeah, so you, so you mentioned. I got up to a lot. So I, I, I'm not even going <laughs> to – I'm not going to even mention the peek behind the curtain. Mm. So I'm just going to say that I have a lot to talk about, and there could be more. <laughs> so I'm going to get two things out of the way first. I've continued watching the great Disney Plus series uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm three episodes in. It's entertaining. And I'm enjoying it, but I I honestly feel it's a step down from one division. Um, I'm gonna say this. I don't feel that the chemistry between uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. Yes. Yeah, Sebastian Stan is very strong. Um, it's kind of a letdown, to be honest. Not the, not the show. Setting. Not the show. No. The show itself is still entertaining. I like it. But their chemistry and their attempts to have chemistry on screen is lacking. Are, are they attempting their uh, their Marvel signature banter? Yeah. Is, and it's, it's falling a little flat? It is. Hmm. It is. And it's a little heartbreaking. <clears throat> but I like the story. I like where it's going. They've introduced... I shouldn't say introduced. A uh, a character from the MCU has uh, come back. Uh, uh, come back? I don't know. How would you say that? They uh, they brought a character from the MCU into this ep- into this movie. Into this. TV Actually, show. two two of them. They brought in two. Sorry, they brought mm-hmm. in two. Uh, so there's it, been a little it, bit of crossover between the movies and the TV show. Oh yeah, 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 and uh, these aren't spoilers because they're they're right in uh, they're right on the poster. But uh, Daniel Bruhl's uh, Baron Zemo is is in this one, and we love us some Daniel Bruhl. We do, we do, <laughs> and uh, he's he's enjoyable. He gets uh, quite a bit to do, and uh, I can't remember the actress's name, um, but Sharon Carter from the Captain America franchise. She's back, right. And the thing that I enjoy is, um, 
again, I'm I'm not I'm not spoiling anything, but in uh, Civil War, she's the one that helped uh, spring them, uh, Captain America and Falcon and some of the other ones when they got captured and stole Cap's shield to get it back to him, mm-hmm. and now she's living with the repercussions of her actions. She is now instead of being a, a, an agent of Shield, she is now a wanted fugitive, and uh, it's it's interesting. It's nice. interesting. It I I am in, I, like I said, I'm really enjoying the show, but I'm I just really feel a real lack of chemistry between the two leads. Well, I mean, if you watched some stuff with a lack of banter and a lack of chemistry this week, that'll only prepare you for one of the other movies we're going to be talking about today in a different episode. <laughs> <clears throat> so Falcon Winter Soldier, I'm enjoying it. Three episodes in. Uh, like I said, I'm still having a good time. Next up is a another um, superhero series, uh, and this is Invincible on Amazon Prime. This is based off the Robert Kirkman uh, comic book. Uh, Robert Kirkman may sound familiar as he is the writer and creator of The Walking Dead. Uh, this is a comic book series he's done. I don't know how long the series lasts, like the comic book series, or if it's still going. But I I read the first um, the first run of it. Probably the f- uh, I think I I can't remember if I had the trade paperbacks or if I bought the issues. But I I read quite a bit of it. And Invincible is a really great comic. And this uh, series is animated. The animation style is, I hate to use the word rudimentary, but it's kind of what it is. It's basically 2D animation. Uh, It's not overly uh, detailed, but what it makes up for in a lack of visual wowness is more than made up for by the incredible voice work and incredibly entertaining and deep and very violent storyline. This is not for children at all in any way, shape, or form. Uh, This is very, very entertaining, very, very well done. And while I basically know where the story is going because I read the comics, I'm still riveted. And it's uh, it's been uh, a fantastic watch so far, and I think I'm four episodes in. I'm trying to find uh, where exactly. I'm trying to find more stuff on the Invincible comic series. It does not appear to be that popular. Um, no, it wasn't. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. not by Marvel or DC. It was an independent run. Yeah, and it looks like uh, it ended in late 2017 with issue number 144. Oh, that's still way more than I read. So yeah. I probably only read about maybe 40 or 50 issues tops. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. I, like, I... I yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm super excited for this show because I know where it goes. And it goes to some really fucked up and deep, dark places. So, yeah. If uh, if you're looking for a much more grittier... I don't even want to say gritty because it, it's, it, it keeps the... It's, hard, it's really hard to explain. If you want a very adult-themed superhero show, I highly recommend Invincible. On Amazon Prime, adult themed like erotic, uh, not erotic, <laughs> no. But the level of the the level of violence on Invincible rivals or exceeds that on The Boys. Wow. Yes, it's a pretty violent show. Yes, 
in the opening episode of The Boys, you get somebody uh, explode from being run through yes. by a person with a with with super speed. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, Invincible, if you're looking for a very mature themed superhero show, this is you. A hundred percent, you should check it out. I appreciate your wording, but it still sounds too sexy when you I, say it like that. Well, <laughs> super superheroes are sexy. Yeah. All right. And enough. and that explains why I'm single. Yeah. That explains. <sighs> All right. Next up, I uh, I did a little bit of a. Oh, I knocked off a, a movie that a lot of people say is a classic. I don't really think it, but you know. It's fairly popular, special amongst the females. This is the 1991 uh, comedy family film, Father of the Bride. I'd never seen this. And I was actually wondering how I was going to feel about this since it's about a father and a daughter. Uh, Starring Steve Martin. Uh, The plot, with his oldest daughter's wedding approaching... A father finds himself reluctant to let go. <clears throat> I'm a big Steve Martin fan. I'm not a super fan, but he's done a lot of work that I really enjoy. You know, we, you and I reviewed Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which he was amazing in. <clears throat> he's done some great work. Uh, and in here, I have a hard time with this movie, <clears throat> and not because I'm a father. But because at times, Steve Martin's character, whose name is George Banks, he does some pretty horribly selfish and mean things for someone that claims to love his daughter as much as he does. Now, granted, this is, plays off on the whole daughter doesn't want to, or sorry, father doesn't want to lose, let his daughter go. He's upset at the the entire thought of her with a man having sex, it it really plays up all those kind of tropes and it just kind of felt a little old for me. And his, his selfishness in a lot of the scenes that are supposed to be kind of funny to me, they just felt hurtful. There's, there's not endearing like they were intended. No, not for me Hmm. because some of the things he was doing, I was just like, you profess to love your daughter more than anything else in the world, and you are acting like a complete fucking asshole. And so at those times, I, I found it, I, I, I'll be honest, I found it really hard for me to root for George, to, to even be sympathetic towards him. And then at the time in 1991, <clears throat> Uh, Martin Short plays this wedding planning character named Frank. Frank Egelhofer. That does not sound good. And he is doing this very weird French European slash, I hate to use this word, but kind of stereotypical homosexual accent. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't play well. And much like the character George in the film, I at times found him hard to understand. And that's a running joke through the entirety of his performance, and it gets old quick. 
hard to understand like as in like what is he saying hmm interesting now at times the, the like it's played for humor but it doesn't stop and i'm just like yeah, that's a problem yeah um Diane Keaton is absolutely adorable as uh Nina Banks George's wife who has nothing but the utmost of patience for her husband until finally she doesn't. And it was really great to see that. That scene really helped me enjoy this movie. We get to see him get chewed the fuck out a little bit. Yeah, like, grow the fuck up. Hmm. And then the scenes that he has with his daughter, who's played by Kimberly Williams Paisley. Um... They have a really great chemistry as a father and daughter, and it's really sweet. And they have some really great moments. I honestly can't remember if it made me cry or not, probably because I've been watching so many goddamn movies. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the first ones I watched. Um, but despite all of the kind of the like the shit I'm giving it, I still, I still had a good time. Uh, it's a there's also a very young Kieran Culkin in it. As um as the son as as Steve Martin's son, he's got a. I wish I could remember the line. He's got one really great line at the end that was. I was just like, "Fuck yeah, brother!" Um, but it's fun. It, like I said, just some of the humor doesn't quite hold up. Like I said, George at times is so incredibly selfish, but the moments when he's not being selfish, he's a lot of fun, and the movie was enjoyable. I had a good time with it. I gave it a three out of five. Hmm. I did not think you were building up to a three. It didn't sound like you liked this very much. I know. I really, I really shit on it a lot, but like the moments when it works, it works really well. But I, I kind of just, I really just wanted to highlight the things I didn't like for some reason. I don't know why, but I, I had, I had a good time. I've also heard that the sequel is better. Hmm. Which is rare. Yeah. But, uh, I, I might check out the sequel at some point, but who knows yeah um as you recall from our planes trains and automobiles uh episode which was all the way back in episode 83 if you can believe it you know what's funny ago. i was i was gonna guess that it was in the 80s yeah 83 um as you recall steve martin and most of his movies that are considered classics are before my time mm-hmm. i haven't really checked out a whole lot of them uh, i think planes trains and automobiles is probably the big one that i have checked out mm-hmm. uh when i was growing up the big movie of his like the the franchise that was going around was cheaper by the dozen. Oh wow! Yeah, exactly. Dead. So, um, so yeah, I haven't really checked out a lot of Steve Martin stuff, but I'm not gonna lie to you. This this sounds like there there's some movies we talk about where I can just tell we would be on the same page. I don't think I, this sounds like one that is aged poorly, and that I really have no desire to check out. I, I'm I'm this is not one I'd recommend. If you're like, hey Manny, I, I've got I've, I I want to do a Steve Martin movie. I I would have other ones skyrocketing above this one that I would recommend. Which is funny because that's literally the number one reason you could find to recommend this, I think, is if you like Steve Martin, check it out. Yeah, if you like Steve Martin, or if like if you have a daughter. Like, the, like I said, the father-daughter scenes, when he's not being a selfish prick, they work, and they work really well. So I'm, I'm going to probably say that I probably did cry. I, I believe it. I right. It wouldn't You're be out of, wouldn't be out of character. Anyway, Father Bride, three <laughs> out of five. Uh, next up, this was a double feature I did. 
One is a documentary, and the follow-up is the movie that the documentary is about. So the documentary was made in 2019. It's called You Don't Know Me, and it's not Know Me like K-N-O-W space M-E. It's Know Me, N-O-M-I, which is the character name of the lead character in the movie Showgirls. Oh, boy. (laughs) Now, heading into – I watched the documentary first, and then I followed it up with Showgirls. Now, the reason I was watching both of these is that Showgirls is – a 1995 film and I'm knocking off all my movies from the 1995 that I want to watch as are yeah I see you fucking rolling your eyes I'm not rolling but I'm, uh, sh- I'm, I'm I'm being shifty yeah eyes. shifty eyes sorry not rolling shifty eyes um I thought that this documentary you don't know me was going to be about how showgirls has become a cult classic the, the plot of the uh, let, let me go like this Here's the plot for You Don't Know Me. Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls was met by critics and audiences with near-universal derision. You Don't Know Me traces the film's redemptive journey from notorious flop to cult classic and maybe even masterpiece. What this documentary is about is about this this guy who, when he first saw Showgirls, uh, put it down as everybody else did. But then he started to revisit it, and he started to really dig into it and believes that it possibly is a masterpiece. And the the points that he makes are solid points. He points out a lot of things both in the filmmaking technique and in the <sighs> subtext and the... Uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Damn it. Uh, <laughs> the <clears throat> the images on the screen meaning something else. <laughs> uh, the symbolism? Thank you! <laughs> we got there. <clears throat> yeah. He starts to point out these kind of things, and he starts to make a solid point. And then they get into the story or it gets into the background of how this movie kind of really fucked up Elizabeth Berkeley's career and how she kind of turned it around eventually and how she's come to embrace this. This documentary was really, really good. Um, sounds even better. I, I gave the documentary a three out of five. I was entertained. I was really impressed with his arguments about showgirls being a masterpiece. And this this director, Paul Verhoeven, Sam, is the same guy that directed Starship Troopers, where I told you the same thing, is that the movie is really cheesy, but the message and the underlying text and the subliminal messages in that movie are overwhelming. And when you, when you watch for them and you see them, you're like, this, is this a genius film? <laughs> and that's basically what this person puts forth with showgirls is what is this movie truly about? What are they symbolizing here? What are they showing you here? What are they telling you here by doing this? It was really an interesting watch. So if anybody out there is thinking or even contemplating rewatching showgirls, 
please check out the documentary, You Don't Know Me. Now, I did have to buy it. I saw it was on sale like six months ago since I knew that we were going to be doing 1995 and I knew I was going to be doing Showgirls. I bought it. It was like seven bucks uh, on, on stream. I think I bought it on Google Play. And worth it. I, I, I will definitely be revisiting this documentary again. What a what a strange filmography Paul Verhoeven has had. I'm just looking. I'm looking through right now to see if I have seen anything, and I, I haven't. You, you've <laughs> but, seen none. Uh, you've seen none of his films. Not that I can tell. Okay. Um, well, uh, uh, th- I shouldn't be that shocked because the only. Uh, uh, let me just go through the ones his most popular films. So it looks like they're all right in a row. Okay, so I would go. He is his North American debut is I'm pretty sure RoboCop. And yep. then after RoboCop would be Total Recall. Correct. Which uh, I actually, I own Total Recall, but haven't seen it. I bought it on Blu-ray because I found it cheap in a the, pawn shop. The Schwarzenegger one? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's fuck it. It's really good. Okay. Um, after Total Recall should be Basic Instinct. Correct. Then it, oh my God. Is, no, we can't be at Showgirls already. We are at Showgirls already. Showgirls. And then Starship Troopers. And then that's everything I've heard of from him. He has one in 2000 called Hollow Man. Oh, that's that's a remake of The Invisible Man with Kevin Bacon. Um, yeah. Really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> he has 2006 Black Book, 2017 Tricked. Okay, yeah, I don't know. 2016 L, that's it. Oh, L. Um, L got a Best Actress nomination. Did it now? Yes. Yep. Uh, interesting. Um... Yeah, and an eighty-nine Metascore. Holy shit! Yeah, if I'm, I, I, it might have even got a, I might have got a best foreign language film nomination, or maybe even a best picture nomination. It says just nominated for one Oscar. Okay, nice. so I'm best, assuming it's gonna be it's best actress, Isabel Hubert. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's you don't know me. Three out of five. So then I revisited Showgirls. Showgirls is. Widely considered probably one of the worst films of all time. Um, The plot, uh, Nomi, a young drifter, arrives in Las Vegas to become a dancer and soon sets about clawing and pushing her way to become the top of the Vegas showgirls. (sighs) Okay. Um, Fuck, I had a point I wanted to make about it. Oh, yes. To further introduce the point, I, I really... And I didn't know this until I watched the documentary. I really wish we had picked one of this movie to review for our our miniseries. Mm. Because not only did this win the Razzie for Worst Picture, it won the Razzie for Worst Movie of the Decade. Right, yeah, they they release one of those every decade, right? The worst... Yeah. Do, do you know what on the, the, the two, later ones, the, out of curiosity? 2000, 2010, no. Are you going to look it I up? To, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... Either Freddy Got Fingered or Battlefield Earth. I But I think Battlefield Earth is in the 90s, isn't it? I think it's 2000 exactly. Okay. Anyway. All right. You yeah, look that up. I'm going to go look that up. Okay. So Showgirls, <clears throat> it is – it has graphic nudity. It has some of the most unrealistic sex scenes you've ever seen. It has Elizabeth Berkley sadly overreacting to completely normal questions that take you like like make you 
like jaw your head back. You're like, honey, settle down. She literally just asked you where you were from. And she fucking loses her mind anytime she's asked that. <clears throat> it's a incredibly out of their performance. But at the same time, you you can't blame Berkeley because she was directed to be that way by Verhoeven, who tell who says that I wanted her to be this way. So this really weird, out of nowhere performance is because the filmmaker was it was what he wanted. It's beautifully shot, Sam. I actually forgot how great the cinematography is the composition of the shots are great and don't get me wrong i have zero problem watching elizabeth berkeley be naked on screen because she is an attractive woman not to mention one of my girlfriends gina gershon is naked in this movie as well and and this was at the height of my love for her so i watch this movie a little too often and maybe not in full scenes. So, Showgirls has a lot of problems. I was hoping that watching the documentary first and then following it up with this movie would lead me to believe that it truly was a hidden masterpiece. That is not the case. This movie is hard. I shouldn't say hard. This movie is a, well, it is. It's a rough sit through. The acting is really difficult to bear at times. Uh, Berkeley is just too over the top. And there's not really much to like. The documentary is 100% worth watching. Showgirls still gets a failing grade from me. Still it's, sucks. It's a 2 out of 5. I can't give it a 1 because I don't hate it. There are some things in this movie that are worth enjoying. In particular, Elizabeth Berkley and Gina Gershon naked. Yes, granted, <laughs> yes. But there are some other things as well. The production, the, the production value on this movie is phenomenal, which when you watch it and you're watching how bad a lot of the acting is, you're like, Jesus, I spent a lot of money on a bad movie. But this movie looks beautiful. It is so gorgeously shot. There are some things in it that are enjoyable, but I, I, I've never hated this movie. It's just not one that I revisit very often. I've probably watched this movie in full in one sitting, uh, maybe four times. But I've seen this movie well over 200. Wait, what? <laughs> <clears throat> Certain scenes. Oh, I see. I understand. Yeah. Ah, that's Showgirls, two out of five. Did um, you... I was trying to find the uh, the worst of the decade list. I did find the uh, the 2000s decade. Okay. The, uh, do you want to give a guess as to the worst? Do you have a guess? Well, if Battlefield Earth was in 2000, then I'd have to say that probably won. Yeah, it did. Freddy okay. Got Fingered was also nominated. Um, also, the Ben Affleck film, Geely. Oh, yes, right, Geely, which I'd also, never I... seen. Yeah, neither have I, but I've heard it's terrible. Um, I know who killed me and swept away, rounding out the category. I know who killed me. I've never heard of it. Swept away. I know who killed me. Two thousand seven American psychological thriller directed by Chris Siverton. Never heard of him. Swept Starring away. Lenslino. Swept away. If I'm not mistaken, is a Madonna movie. 
and I think it's Guy Ritchie. Yes, correct. Yeah. Not good. Haven't seen it. All right. So continuing on with my 1995 rewatches, I knocked off yet another of the uh, Best Actor nominees, and this is the uh, biography, biographical film Nixon, directed by Oliver Stone, starring uh, Anthony Hopkins in an Oscar-nominated performance. The plot, a biographical story of former U.S. President Richard Nixon from his days as a young boy to his eventual presidency, which ended in shame. Now, if anybody out there is listening and doesn't know about the director Oliver Stone, you have to understand that this man takes incredible liberties with uh, facts uh, when it comes to his films. And so while this is listing itself as a biographical story of former U.S. President Richard Nixon, uh, there is a lot of um, creative license taken uh, in this movie. So you have to take it with a a grain of salt. So if you're looking for uh, uh, an accurate portrayal of Nixon's life and all that, uh, you should look at documentaries or read a book because this is not where you're going to get it. But what you, you said are that with such disdain. Read a book. Yeah. But if you want to see Anthony Hopkins give yet another spectacular performance and you have three hours and twelve minutes to kill, this is the movie for you. Going into this, I was kind of hoping that his performance wouldn't be as good as the nomination because I'm desperately trying to figure out where I'm going to fit in some of the people I want to get nominated when we get to our year-end awards. And sadly, this is going to be a tough one to cut because he is unfucking believable as Richard Nixon. Mm. Anthony Hopkins and Joan Allen as Pat Nixon, who she also got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for her role, uh, they are the reason to watch this movie. And again, like I said, just please remember that this is not a completely accurate portrayal of everything that happened, but it gives you a pretty good idea. And it's it's well done, but the th- three hours and 12-minute runtime is at times a hard sit-through. A little tedious. A little tedious, especially when I've seen it before. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed it. I don't see myself revisiting this anytime soon, but for people that like Oliver Stone's films or really enjoy Anthony Hopkins and Joan Allen performances, Nixon is definitely one that you should take a look at. Um, I gave it a three out of five. Surprised to see you not mention our guy, Ed Harris, in this. Ed Harris isn't in it very much. No? No, oh, that's a shame. No, no. We like us some Ed Harris. We do, parts. but he's he's not, he's, in all honesty, he's got maybe three, four scenes, Sam. So that's why he doesn't get a mention at all. What I would like to mention, though, is a character actor that I fucking love, who's a little before your time, 
his name is JT Walsh. He is in this movie, and he is one of my favorite character actors of all time. He's passed away, I can't even remember when, probably late 2000s, I would, would be my guess. Uh, I love him. He's got some really great, really small parts in a lot of very enjoyable movies, and he's really good in this movie. J.T. Walsh passed away in 1998. Oh, my God. He died before the turn of the century. I didn't realize it was that uh, that long ago. Big, yeah. I'm a big fan of J.T. Walsh, by the way. He plays um, somebody by the name of Ehrlichman in this movie. Ehrlichman, who, uh, yeah. The only reason I even recognize that name is because uh, John Ehrlichman has a very famous quote about the war on drugs in the Nixon administration. Have you ever heard that? No. Yeah, he has some some very famous quote. I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's chilling. You can look this up. It's legitimately what he said. He said something like, uh, we knew that we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or black, but we could make it illegal but by associating hippies with pot and black people with heroin. We could criminalize those drugs and take power away from those communities. And then he finishes it with a quote. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. <laughs> Just the kind of evil people that were in this administration. Wow. <laughs> I, I swear to God, look it up. It's a John Ehrlichman, a pretty famous quote. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, that's that. All right. And the last movie, and I saved it for last because this was high on my list of shame. I've seen parts of this movie at times. All we hear about is how this movie was revolutionary, unbelievable, a masterpiece. So I finally decided to watch it. This movie is especially important and resonates today, and that is the 1989 comedy drama, widely considered his greatest film, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. Yeah, I saw that you would watch this, and I, I have not seen this, but I'm, I'm curious to hear uh, if, it, if it holds up. So the plot, on the hottest day of the year on a street in Bedford's Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn, probably sure. said that wrong, uh, everyone's hate and bigotry smolders and builds until explodes into violence. Sam, this movie lives up to the hype and exceeds it. This movie is unbelievable and this movie is what are we looking at 32 years old now roughly yeah. 89 32 years yep. old and everything every message everything that goes on in this movie still resonates today there is nothing that hasn't aged well from this movie except for maybe the fashion yeah, I'm looking at a picture of Samuel L. Jackson right now. Yeah. <laughs> the maybe the fashion, maybe the hairstyles, and maybe the choice of how they played the music. Because there's obviously not playing off of their phones, but by uh ghettos and boom boxes and there's the fact that there's a radio station, which right. nobody listens to anymore. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the feelings portrayed, the actions by both civilians and police are all 100% true still to this day. Sam, I cannot offer enough recommendations for, for Do the Right Thing. 
everything you've heard about how this important this movie is, how well it's made, how incredibly acted it is, how incredibly resonant it is for today, they are all true. This movie was a fucking delight to watch and is so incredibly powerful. And the acting in this movie is superb. I truly wish that I know that you and I have talked about it. Like we're going back until 1990 and then we're going to take off to another decade. I really wish that we were doing 89 because the five other films that were this didn't, the only nomination this film got was for best screenplay. Now the best pictures, the best, the five best picture nominees that year, this was, (laughs) this was the year that Uh, this was driving Miss Daisy's year, right? Yeah. But the other four films are all really great as well, and that's Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Poet Society, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. Only seen uh, Dead Poets. Dead Poets. They're all great. But in all honesty, the only one of those five that I could put on the same level, even approaching the same level as Do the Right Thing, is Dead Poets. And even then... As much as I love Dead Poets Society, it just it's not as important as this film. Wow. That's high praise. The, the, Sam, Sam, watching this movie, you're watching it, you see the thing that goes on screen, and then you're like, oh, shit, this was 32 years ago. <laughs> they could have made this last week. It's, it's such a powerful film that has such an incredible message and is literally telling the exact same stories that we are hearing today racism bigotry hatred how the african american people are treated how how white people are scared nervous around them it, it it's unbelievable how prescient this movie was in 1989 i was i was going to say in all of my discussions about this movie that I have read online, because I've been, I'm very curious about this movie. Um, that is the word I've seen thrown around right there. What you just said, prescient. That is, that is how I've heard this movie described. 93 Metascore, by yeah. the way, is, uh, is massive. Um, this is one. And uh, basically everything that you've said is something that I've heard, which is that this movie has aged like a fine wine. It has only gotten more relevant in the 32 years since it was created. That is 100% true. I, I I cannot recommend this movie enough. Do the Right Thing is a 5 out of 5 for me. An easy 5 out of 5. It is Damn. fucking awesome. You know, we've never really heaped a ton of praise on Spike Lee as a filmmaker. I don't think either of us... I mean, let, let's put it this way. We're not exactly the target demo for, mm-hmm. for Spike Lee. Uh, that being said, I really enjoyed Black Klansman. I thought it was an excellent movie. Um, and then we watched The Five Bloods this year, which I think we were both kind of lukewarm on. Yeah, The Five Bloods got a three for me. And yeah, Black Klansman, well. I think, got a four. Yeah, Black Klansman was a four for me as well. Do, uh, I've rewatched that movie a couple of times. I like it. Do the right, do the right, thi- do the right thing, shit kicks them both. Really? Yes. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Hmm. I, I just added it to my letterbox watch list as, uh, as you were talking about it. Perfect. You have, you've officially piqued my interest. I'm so glad, Sam. I really hope that... Um, once you've gotten your 1995 movies out of the way, I hope this one sneaks up towards the top of something that you'll watch. Yeah, me too. I'm uh, consider me intrigued. Awesome. That's what I've been watching. 
All right, I don't have that many. My <laughs> God, you you were busy this week, and you said there was even more, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> An animal. Okay, so I've got three to talk about right now. All right. So, continued with my MCU rewatch. Mm, right. So, uh, you, you'll recall last time I talked about, I think, Avengers and Iron Man 3. Yes. So, onto one that I was dreading a little bit, but also very curious about, because its reputation, mm. is that it's the worst of the MCU. That's Thor the Dark World. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... When the Dark Elves attempt to, to plunge the universe into darkness, Thor must embark on a perilous and personal journey that will reunite him with Dr. Jane Foster. Yeah, I mean, it's the worst of the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. That's, that's my, my short-form review. It's the, like, I'm saying that with a shrug. I know only Manny can see me right now. I'm saying with a shrug, like, yeah, it's the worst, but it's not, like, the worst. It's just... It's just not as good as the rest. It's just not as good as one of the most successful franchises of all time, you know? Let me put it this way. <clears throat> Thor The Dark World is arguably, arguably, the worst MCU film. Mm-hmm. But it would be a top five DCU movie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it, would, it would arguably be top three DCU. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's fine. It's at its absolute worst, it's just kind of boring. It's uh, Malekith. I I watched this movie like two days ago, and I almost just couldn't remember his name right now. He's just the least interesting bad guy in the entire MCU by far. He just has no interesting thing about him. He's just a blank slate of a villain who just wants everything to die for some vague reason. Um, it's, a, it's an unimportant movie as far as the structure of the MCU is concerned. Uh, there's very little of consequence in this movie other than introducing the Infinity Stones, I think. That's correct. That's probably about the only thing, and in particular, introducing the Ether or the Reality Stone. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I've sort of implied this, but I should explicitly say that this is one of the few movies in the MCU that I had not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking forward to watching it for the first time uh, just to get an opinion on it. And it's it's fine. I still have the same issues with Jane Foster that I had in the first movie. She has, I think, a lot of potential as a villain, or as a villain, Jesus, as a uh, as a as a character. And uh, she's just very underutilized. She uh, they give her a, a fancy electronic doodad to hold twice a movie, and then they just have her batter eyelashes at Thor for the rest of the runtime. It's just very underutilized character, and I think Natalie Portman is a, is a talented actress, so I would have liked to have seen her utilized a little bit more. Um, she is going to be in the upcoming fourth installment of the Thor franchise, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. So I I hope that they give her a little bit more to do because I like her as an actress. Fifty four Metascore is pretty accurate. Um, oh, the the final battle scene, the. Uh, <laughs> The spatial geography, all over the place. I got, and I'll, I give the movie credit because they're trying to be creative. They have objects teleporting from one place to another, and there's this whole thing with there uh, being a sort of a connection between these two different realms, or several different realms all at once. Uh, but the spatial geography winds up just being a little bit of a clusterfuck, and the last last act is just very spatially confusing, in my opinion. Um, not a very good conclusion to the movie. That being said, it's got your MCU banter. It's got uh, Chris Hemsworth uh, shirtless for approximately 20 seconds at one point. So, <laughs> you know, every, everybody wins. Um, you know, I will say, um, 
I one thing that I am enjoying about going through these movies that I haven't watched, in particular, I hadn't seen the first Thor and this Thor movie. Uh, Loki as a villain, uh, very good. One of the highlights of the movie. Yes. Uh, one of the best vi- villains of the MCU, second place only behind Thanos. Um, and in this movie, he has a lot more to do. You start to understand his motivations a little bit more. So uh, Thor, the Dark World, still very worth its weight in, uh, in you know, whatever. <laughs> if that, that's the best word I can use to describe Thor, the Dark World. Whatever. It's a pretty pretty easy three. Awesome. I, I was just happy that I gave this one a three. I was, I was expecting a two for it. Yeah. It's, it's not as bad as what people have you believe because the bar is set so high by the MCU. It is probably <clears throat> my least favorite MCU movie. But it's not bad. Like, I would watch it again, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. Yeah. And not just because it's a part of a bigger whole. Yep. Uh, so I got to go ahead and watch something better. I <laughs> uh, got to go ahead and watch Captain America the Winter Soldier. Oh! Yeah. Uh, directed by the Russo brothers. As Steve Rogers struggles to embrace his role in the modern world, he teams up with fellow Avenger and S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Black Widow to battle a new threat from history, an assassin known as the Winter Soldier. This movie's always been one of my favorites of the MCU. Uh, I've seen it several times, and it's completely out of left field, um, especially watching the MCU now in order. Uh, it's, it's completely... Uh, unprecedented in the shift in tone that it takes mm-hmm. uh, it's just a it's a full-on espionage movie it's like yes. a spy thriller yes it's, it's so fun and the russo brothers are of course really talented directors they'll go on to direct many more installments of this franchise this was their first they uh before this uh were directors on a tv show that i like called community Uh, including directing uh, one of the most famous episodes of that show, the paintball episode, the first one. Um, So they they were honestly sort of a risk, I would say, coming into this, Mm -hmm. um, having not really handled a big-budget blockbuster of any kind before this, and they knock it out of the fucking park. The action looks great. Um, In particular, the action with uh, Captain America all in camera um, is is so much better looking. It felt like they didn't really know what to do with him and his powers or lack thereof in the first movie, at least as far as the action was concerned. They really let him go ham. They, uh, They take advantage of his shield being used as a weapon even though it kind of looks like a boomerang sometimes and he should have lost it many times during this movie, but that's okay. Um, they take advantage of his speed and his strength. Uh, and the action in general is just uh, light years ahead of uh, the previous Captain America movie. And then of course there is argue. I would, as we, as we list off candidates for this, I would maybe take this back, but top three, I, I would say probably podium, uh, for best scenes in the MCU with the elevator fight. <laughs> the elevator fight just knocked me back and made me giggle the first time that I saw it. And it mm-hmm. did it again. When there's that pause, when everybody can sense that something bad's going to go down in this elevator, including Cap. And he just says the most Captain America thing ever, giving the bad guys a chance to renounce their ways. <laughs> that line, before we get started, does anybody want to get out? <laughs> Giving them one last chance. Uh, and it's just, it's one of my favorite scenes in a movie ever, I think. Uh, certainly one of the best in the MCU. Um, so Captain America uh, is 
is one that's pretty good front to back. The first time I watched it, I didn't get the relevance of Bucky. Interesting. You recall the the first time I watched this movie before Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh. So when the reveal, sorry if you haven't seen the Captain America or the Winter Soldier, but whatever, it's old and you should have seen it already. Uh, The reveal that the Winter Soldier is Bucky completely fell flat for me the first time because I didn't know who Bucky was. Yep. This time I did. And I liked it. It's a good little reveal. It is. Of course, you would have known that anyway because you've read all the comics. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, worked a lot better. Um, gosh, uh, there, there's a lot to, to like about this. I, we all, we're also introduced to Sam, uh, who's good. I guess this movie is kind of indirectly responsible for, um, Cap and the Winter Soldier, uh, the series that's out now. Um, I think I, I, this movie's great. I gave it a four. What? But I, can't, I can't really think of any reason why I didn't get a five. Neither can I. That's interesting. I, I think I have to give it a five because it is. Okay. Thank God. Yeah, I'm giving it a five. I don't know why I didn't do that. <laughs> Fucking A. I, my heart my heart was about to break. Excellent movie. This is in my top five, possibly even top three of MCU mm-hmm. movies. Uh, this movie is unbelievably good. Like you said, the action is phenomenal. That elevator fight scene, spectacular. One incredibly well-crafted and tense scene is the attack on Nick Fury's car. Yes, I was just thinking about that too. Yeah, the the the, the uh, where he's surrounded by the cops, yep. and uh, they box him in. Yeah, and uh, the the use of his uh, his car knows where its armor's um, integrity is at as mm-hmm. far as the percentage, and it's just like this countdown. It's like this bomb countdown. Yep, and you know something bad's gonna happen at the end of it, but he just like pulls out a different weapon. It's just it's it's yeah, it's fucking great. It's this movie is yeah top five top three mcu movies for me uh mm-hmm. obviously number one is Endgame. this might be number two i don't know i it's, it probably is i i really think the mcu is at its best or at least it has been um at its best when it's not afraid to get a little philosophical mm-hmm. and a little bit a, a little bit heady and a little bit uh into some bigger ideas and the departure that they take with the Captain America character going from somebody who's blindly patriotic, just trying to help his country to somebody who wakes up in a world that he doesn't recognize and is really concerned about um, the mass surveillance that he sees and isn't even really sure that he believes in the country that he's fighting for anymore. That conflict and inner turmoil just makes the story so much richer and makes the arc so much better when he decides that all of this is worth fighting for and worth saving at the end of the movie it's it's so it's so powerful and it's not just mindless action it's a it's a compelling character arc and uh yeah i'm not i don't know why i didn't give this a five this is absolutely a five for Fuck, sure fucking a fucking a yeah last one i want to talk about uh you have have you been on my letterbox this week no i try to avoid it okay because this one uh you're gonna be excited that i watched this kind of kind of came out of nowhere um i just I was just home one day. Uh, Jordan came home from work, and she said, "Do you want to put on Galaxy Quest?" <gasps> Holy fuck! So I put on Galaxy Quest. Uh, the alumni cast of a space opera television series have to play their roles as the real thing when an alien race needs their help. However, they also have to defend both Earth and the alien race from a reptilian warlord. Have you seen this? 
No. Holy shit! I'm Been so on my list for a while. I I own Galaxy Quest, and it's one of the ones that has remained in its packaging uh, for a special occasion. So we busted it out this time. Um, I knew very little about it. I what I was sort of expecting was a Star Trek parody of sorts. I was I was expecting um, sort of a comedy knockoff version of Star Trek, and. That's kind of accurate, but it's really not. It's it's grounded in reality, sort of. Uh, this this crew that is uh, the cast of a television show, which isn't Star Trek, but is definitely supposed to be Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, as far as this movie is concerned. And I'm going to just say right off the bat, I was hooked with Alan Rickman as Alexander Dane. Just this man, gone too soon had me in stitches yes as his character alexander dane is a very serious actor he's played shakespeare and he he considers himself a very serious actor and he's uh very british and uh, a little bit uptight and he is just distraught with shame over this dull boring character that he plays the stupid cheesy show that he's on called galaxy quest and he's just overcome with shame (laughs) for this role that he's playing and i loved him he was so funny one of the highlights of the movie right off the bat uh this movie defied expectation basically at every turn uh your boy justin long is in the movie (laughs) somebody that i know manny really likes and uh, he has a soft spot in my heart a little bit as well (laughs) um galaxy quest was so fun it has laugh after laugh after laugh um, everybody in the crew has their own uh, their own little niche that they fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Rockwell as Guy <laughs> Fleetwood. Oh my God, is he ever funny? Uh, he, <laughs> he plays a guy on the show named Guy who <laughs> the actor... I guess I'm trying to think of a way to explain this because there's so many meta jokes and so much fourth wall breaking and stuff like this. It's very difficult to explain. But the actor who Sam Rockwell plays is convinced that he is going to be the first to die in this adventure they go on in their reality because the character that he plays is named Guy. <laughs> and she's just some throwaway red shirt type who's just going to be the first to die to show the rest of the audience what a serious adventure this really is. And the constant curveballs are being thrown of the of the situations where he may die and he's convinced he's going to die and the reactions from Sam Rockwell and how how fearful he is at every turn is so 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 funny. Um Top to bottom, it is well-performed, it is well-acted, it is well-written. Um, hilarious. Galaxy Quest. Man, you want to chime in at all? I can't heap enough praise on Galaxy Quest. It is so deliciously made, so well-executed. It is having so much fun, and every actor in this movie is fully on board and fully understands the exact movie they're making, and they all have the right tone. There's nobody in here who is wrecking the movie, despite if one person wasn't taking this movie, I guess, quote-unquote, seriously, it would derail the whole thing. But Mm -hmm. everyone is perfectly on board, and it fucking flies. This movie is a total blast. Rickman is probably the highlight. Mm -hmm. Tony Shalhoub is so good. Uh, (laughs) He is 
Absolutely. Rockwell is completely over the top in a good way, not in a hammy way, in a I'm way over my head way. And it is a delight. And Justin Long, in, if I'm not mistaking, his film debut is mm. superb. He plays that character exactly the way that that character should be played. As someone who takes this seriously to the heart and it means everything to him. He's taken his fan, his fandom to another level and he doesn't care what that means and then that fandom is rewarded. It is a beautiful beautiful film that I will watch over and over again. Galaxy Quest is possibly going to become one of my all-time classics. Mhm. Again, another one that I gave a 4. Um but Again, with rewatch, uh, could could flirt a little bit with being a five because it is just a fucking blast. And there's there's basically nothing about the movie that I didn't like. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Maybe, maybe the uh, the race that they're trying to help um, begins to grate a little bit towards the end. Just they're they're very monotone mm-hmm. and and they can begin to grate a little bit. But even them, they're they're pretty funny for the most part. Most most of their stuff is, is pretty solid. So. Um, I gave it a four, but upon rewatch, could definitely uh, get bumped up. For sure. I think I'm with you. I'm I'm pretty sure I gave Galaxy Quest a four as well. But the mm-hmm. more I think about it, and the more I talk about it, it's 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 something that will become a five for sure. I without a shadow of a doubt, this will become a five movie for me. There's there's a moment uh, <laughs> for Alan Rickman's character arc in this movie. The moment where he begins to take it a little bit more seriously at the end of the movie, I'm not going to spoil what exactly happens, but you're, you'll recall there's something that occurs that inspires him to, to take this mission a little bit more seriously. Yep. Uh, surprisingly touching, like yeah. surprisingly emotional. Yes. And actually genuinely began to affect me a little bit. Yeah. Like, it's this really silly comedy movie that we're watching. And there's this shockingly um, poignant moment with Alan Rickman's character where he, where he begins to take himself a little bit more seriously and realize uh, the importance of the role that he's playing. Yep. It's uh it's a, it's a fantastic moment. Oh, by Grabthar's hammer, I will avenge you. <laughs> uh, hell yes. Yeah. Galaxy quest four. I'm so happy that I watched it. You've been telling me to, uh, to get this going for a long time. Yes. And as what? you'll know, knowing me for a long time, a long time is the amount of time it takes to get me to watch a movie usually. <laughs> I know. If anybody out there hasn't heard of Galaxy Quest, this is what I'm going to tell you. If you if any if anyone listening right right now is a Star Trek fan, this is a must watch. A must watch. That's all I want to say. Yeah. And I, I I'm going to get off this movie because we do have another one to talk about today. Um but I I will just say that I don't think that the movie even though there's a lot of stuff about Trekkies in it and Justin Long's character is certainly a nerd and kind of a loser, I don't think the Star Trek fandom is ever the butt of the no, joke. No, no, they're not. It's it's very respectful, and it's it's not just, like, stereotyping them all as, like, you know, your, your basement-dwelling, obese, hot-pocket-eating, neckbeard type. You know, it's it's very respectful to the fandom. And uh, Tim Allen's character, and we haven't even talked about Tim Allen, but he's great in the movie, too. Um, he is somebody who does it all for the fans and is just relishing in their attention. And, uh, yeah, I, I just thought the movie was, uh, it, it was nice how it was respectful to, it, uh, to, to the people that it was 
kind of lampooning. Yes, it, this is incredibly respectful to fandom. And that I think that's one of the reasons that this movie is elevated, is that it, it is not making fun of the people that it is, quote-unquote, making fun of. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, got for. Wicked. All right, that's what we've been watching. So now it's time to get into the reason everyone's listening to this episode. Just kidding. They've only tuned in for the first hour. You can turn it off now because we're yeah. about to talk about the fourth nominated film from 1995, and that's Il Postino. It was released March 22nd, 1996. Wait a minute, 1996? How was this eligible for the 1995 Oscars? Well, it's because it had a limited release on June 14th of 1995. Uh, directed by Michael Radfer and uncredited Massimo Troisi, the star and writer of this film as well, is written by Massimo Troisi, as well as Furio and Giacomo Scarpelli, based off an Antonio Scarmetta novel, uh, starring Massimo Troisi, uh, Philippe Nure, and Mario Grazidi Quinqueta, uh, has a Metascore of 81. Sam, the Metascore of 81 mm. means that this is now the second highest Metascore movie that we've reviewed so far from 1995. Behind? Babe. Uh, it went one for five at the Oscars. Uh, winning for Best Dramatic Score uh, by Louis Bakalov. Uh, it had five nominations for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Massimo Troisi, Best Adapted Screenplay, and then it won for Best Dramatic Score. It had a budget of $3 million, and it grossed $21 million in the U.S. Uh, plot, a simple Italian postman learns to love poetry while delivering mail to a famous poet and then uses this to woo local beauty Beatrice. Sam. As we stated at the top of the show, this was a movie you and I had both not seen prior. Why don't you share your spoiler-free thoughts on Il Postino, starting with your expectations of the film? Yeah, so as I kind of alluded to off the beginning, I really uh, didn't have a ton of expectation for the movie. Um, it certainly did not come as highly regarded as some of the uh, the other foreign films we've talked about on the show. Um, there wasn't a lot of fanfare behind it, so I wasn't really sure what to expect. That being said, it did get a Best Actor nomination and a Best Picture nomination, so, I mean, there must be something there, right? Not that we haven't reviewed some turds that have been nominated for Best Picture. <clears throat> Stevens and Lies, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Just, you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, also, I'm sure you were planning on touching on this either before we get into the movie or maybe in trivia a little bit, but it's worth noting that Massimo Troisi uh, was dying as this movie was happening. He delayed heart surgery so that he could do this movie. And I've seen some conflicting reports, but the, the measurement that I've seen is that he died 12 hours after this movie was finished filming. That That's, is correct. I've seen anywhere from 12 to 24 hours being reported online. He died immediately after this movie was filmed. So he gave this everything that he had in him. Yep. So I think that's a little bit of important context to watch the movie with. And uh, I think he is just about the best part of the movie. He gives a fantastic performance. He uh, he plays this very shy yet charming. Um, the word that comes to mind is adorable. <laughs> uh, Mario is a, uh, a very shy sort of simple individual. And... It's probably no accident 
I'm going to be very careful not to try to insult this performance here when I say this. It's probably no accident that it's a, a quite a low energy performance. Um, not that it, it's not bad. It's, it's very quiet and very reserved for the, for, the, for the most part. But knowing that he's dying as he's making this movie and apparently he could only shoot for like one or two hours a day without becoming exhausted, um, it makes a lot of sense. He is uh, very much so low energy in the movie, but but very good in the scenes that he has. Um, I love the score. <laughs> the score is a lot of fun. There's a song, uh, Loved by Women, which as I was listening to the soundtrack and typing up my notes, as I like to do, just so delightfully jazzy. And <laughs> there, there's uh, something about the Italian charm uh, of the score, which is very nice. Um, but for me, the movie kind of falls into the category, as, as far as best picture noms are concerned, of technically proficient, um, but without very deep personal connection for me. Uh, as far as movies we reviewed, I feel like it's uh, kind of on the level of like um, the, the comparisons I could, could think of were The Thin Red Line or The English Patient, uh, movies that I could look at it and be like, oh, these, these are well made, but it, just nothing about it really spoke to me on a deep level. I've never been a poetry guy um, I've tried many times <laughs> to, to be somebody who's interested in poetry. I'm just not that interested in it, nor am I that interesting uh, <laughs> to, to become uh, a fan of poetry. Um, so a lot of the bonding that goes on between uh, Pablo and Mario over poetry kind of goes over my head. There's a, there's a couple, of, a couple of scenes that are exceptions to that, which I'm sure we'll get into in spoilers. Um, but overall, I just didn't have a deep emotional connection to Il Postino. Wow. That's nicer than I'm going to be. Yeah? Did you know that Massimo Troisi had died prior to watching this movie? Yes. Okay. Yes, I, I did. I did. I, I wish that I... I kind of wish that I hadn't, but watching it, it makes sense. I didn't know that. So I'm going to say a, quite a few harsh things about a dead man. <laughs> Didn't like the performance as much as I did, hey? Not even fucking close. Really? Not okay. even close. And the fact that he got a nomination for this disgusts me. Considering some of the other roles from this mm -hmm. year, from 1995, that didn't get a nomination, this, in my opinion, is a travesty. When you started talking about you put this on the same level and I was hoping you were going somewhere, but then you threw in a, th a thin red line and English patient. Again, I'm sorry. I have to disagree. Those two movies are infinitely better than this. Really? This is – oh, sorry. I'll let you finish. This movie is boring. Mm. I don't think it's really that well made. I think the scenery is gorgeous, mm -hmm. but the technical proficiency, I didn't see it. I don't think this is a poorly made movie, but this being nominated for Best Picture, again, in a year like this, is a fucking disgrace. This movie is not an 81. Not hmm. even close. I, I'm going to heap a lot of criticism on this movie. I'm going to really voice my displeasure on this movie. But I'm going to spoil things right now. All that, I didn't hate this movie. Mm. But considering the other movies from this year, this is not one of the five best. 
this is not one of the 10 best. This is not one of the 20 best. This movie has no business being nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. I was really excited to watch this movie because I get excited when there's a Best Picture nominee that I haven't seen. But frankly, over the last few Oscar episodes that we've done, when I get to see an Oscar-nominated movie that I haven't seen, I've been kicked in the nuts. I'm looking at you, Secrets and Lies. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Il Postino. On the level of Secrets and Lies? I don't know about that. Uh, it's, it's fucking close. It's fucking close. I don't, like I said, I hated Secrets and Lies. I don't hate this movie. <clears throat> but it's not far off. And probably my hatred is probably, or my disdain for this movie is probably tempered a little bit by the fact that Massimo Chuisi gave his life for this film. Yeah. You, you really didn't like his performance, hey? No. It, I didn't hate it. This is not an Oscar-nominated performance. I'm mm. sorry. Not even close. Again, especially with other people that didn't get nominated. And I'll just throw, I'll just throw an easy example. His performance in this film pales in comparison to both Pacino and De Niro in Heat. Yep, absolutely it does. It, it like, it's, again, it, and it's not because, you know, you can look at Pacino. Pacino's really, he's really going for it in Heat. He's doing a little bit of overacting. But De Niro, that's a great performance in Heat. Mm-hmm. It's subtle. It has its moments. Sure, you know, and we're talking about De Niro. You want another movie? The two leads in Crimson Tide, Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman, infinitely better than Massimo Truisi in this movie. I just, this is one of those Oscar-nominated films where I'm, I just shake my head. I'm like, I don't get it. Sorry. I don't see how this is. A, I don't see, I don't see how this is a Best Picture nominee when there are other much more deserving films. Than this. Well, luckily for you, this movie appears to have been scrubbed from the internet. Yes, so. <laughs> and and thankfully so. <laughs> uh, um, let's get into spoilers sure. uh, because, frankly, I don't have a lot to say. And I mean, nobody gives a shit if we spoil this movie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, uh, they're probably gonna want us to spoil it because they can't fucking watch it. Yeah, exactly. They're like, "What the hell happens in this movie?" <laughs> All right, spoilers for Il Postino coming up in three. One, uh, go fuck yourself. Let's start off with something good. It is fucking gorgeous scenery in this movie. It is fantastic. The shots it, of the beach and the yep. countryside. Biking through those hills just looks like a dream. You it, can smell the fresh air. It was uh, it was beautiful. I will yes. give them that. There, I gave them... Even, <laughs> even the communities in which they are clearly impoverished, uh, even those look better. Than, uh, than most other movies. Do you remember <clears throat> when we were forced to watch Stir of Echoes <clears throat> by Chards just because the actress in that movie had a role in How I Met Your Mother? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Pablo Neruda has a small part. The poetry of Pablo Neruda has a small part in How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Yeah, ti- tiny in is in one episode. So when I heard Pablo Neruda, I was like, oh, 
It's actually in, a, in a, an episode I truly enjoy. Uh, it made me it made me giggle. Huh. Uh, and then there was no more giggling. There's there's only one other connection to North American cinema that I'm aware of in this movie. Apparently, the woman who plays Beatrice is a Bond girl as well. What? In one of the Pierce Brosnan Bonds. That was the only connection I could I could find. Uh, I listened to the director's commentary. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, she was in the world is not enough. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, apparently she was also in some softcore pornography films. Really? Yeah. Those did not come up in my research. Yeah. But maybe I'll have to do a second round. Yeah. Um, because I, I think now is as good a time to say, I, <laughs> I didn't say this in the non-spoiler section, but Beatrice is an absolute fox. Yeah, she's good looking. Yeah. That, uh, I mean... There's there's a lot of boring stuff in the movie, but I really like uh, the scene where they meet for the first time over a foosball game, which plays out silently. I think that's a great moment. It's, and, a, it's a good scene, yeah. Yeah, the first moment you see her, I am just like, oh my god, this woman is a babe. Yeah. Um. All right, let's talk about Massimo Truisi. Sure. And the character of Mario. Now, I watched this movie unaware that Troisi had died giving this per- giving this performance. This cost him his life. Mm-hmm. I found the character of Mario pathetic. I personally, I personally thought I had no game. But this man is a complete fucking loser. He's even more pathetic with women than I am, and that's saying a lot. Ah, come on, you've been married. Yeah, <laughs> and how'd that turn out? Um, well, now you have a great podcast with me. That's so true. <laughs> that's so true. Totally worth a divorce. Um, <laughs> I had a hard time being very sympathetic towards Mario. I found him pathetic, annoying, cloying. He, I, I just couldn't connect with him at all. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see it. I, he didn't grate on me nearly as much. I, uh, I I can see where you'd get annoying from, for sure. He certainly annoys Pablo. Yeah. Uh, off the beginning. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Um, I, I think uh, I, I found certain scenes of him funny enough, though, that, uh, that it kind of excused it for me. Like, um, I don't know, the scene where him and his boss... He's complaining to his boss about the signature uh, that Pablo gave him on his book. It is a little bit entitled, um, which I definitely noticed. He, he's, he feels sort of entitled to a better signature and already is calling Pablo his friend after like two meetings. Mm-hmm. So that kind of graded on me a little bit, but the humor of the scene, uh, like I got a couple chuckles out of it. So I kind of, kind of brushed it off. Wow. I didn't get any chuckles. The really? O- yeah. The only other chuckles I got in this movie were from, uh, Aunt Donna Rosa. Yeah. The, yeah. She's good. The scene where, Beatrice is telling how she was kind of wooed by Mario with the metaphors and Donna Rosa is losing her mind because she thinks that Beatrice has slept with him and that Mario is just like feeling her up and being a lecherous scum. That scene was great. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, speaking of Beatrice and uh, the foxy lady, a little too much gazing of the cleavage. Yeah, like an awful lot. Oh, uh, like an awful lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Notice that too. Um There's no real build up for Mario and Beach's romance. 
mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I... They just get right at one poem and just, boom, I'm there. Yeah, like, he sees her on the beach. He starts throwing these incredibly weird metaphors at her. Mm-hmm. Beatrice recants the story or retells the story to her Aunt Donna, who thinks that... Uh, the postman's probably just being uh, a, 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 a total creep. Which kind of is. Kind of is. Um, and then all of a sudden they're married. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it's very sudden. Uh, it would have really been nice if the metaphor meeting on the beach led to some f- a few more dates and some romance being built. But it, it was literally, he said some metaphors, Beaches fell in love, they're married. Yeah. Uh, I I chalked that up to cultural difference. I maybe maybe that was hasty on my part, but I I just chalked that up to, um, I don't know there being fewer dates required to uh to get to marriage, especially in whatever this is, nineteen forties Italy, fifties, forties, forties, forties or fifties, I think. Yeah, something like that. Uh, sure. I, I I have no I have no problem if if that's the case. But from a storytelling perspective, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry. I need I need more than one scene of poetry for me to believe that they're in love. Yeah. I I, I do. I I will say. Um. I, I want to go back to their to their first meeting, if I may. Yeah. Uh, where the they're f- playing the foosball, foosball. because yep. I didn't really expand on that a whole lot. But um, there's a couple of physical moments in that scene. Um, from that actress whose name escapes me, whoever it is that plays uh, Beatrice. Mary Maria. Yeah, exactly. There's a couple of physical moments from her in that scene that are pretty good. One of them is when he walks into whatever it is, a, a, a restaurant or pub yeah. uh, where she's managing. Uh, he walks in and she's standing at the foosball table and she just gives him one of these. Just a, just a little head nod. And I, I liked the uh, the decision there to have it go completely silent. And then she also, uh, the thing of her spitting the foosball out back onto the table mm-hmm. um, and sort of faking him out. Both those moments I, I, I kind of liked uh, from a filmmaking perspective. The, 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 the meeting of Mario and Beatrice is one of the, is one of the best moments in the movie. And yeah, that definitely. whole scene, that movie actually got a, I don't know, I, I, won't be, I won't lie, I might not have laughed, but it definitely got some smiles and smirks from yeah. Mario. His reaction to her kicking his ass at foosball is mm-hmm. enjoyable. So yes. I'll give him that. Not worthy of an Oscar nomination, <laughs> but still a good performance. Um, I don't really care much about what happens after no. the marriage. Uh, up until... Like I, I, I couldn't even tell you what happens up until the letter from Pablo arrives after he's left. Um, Mario's disappointment over the letter that arrived from Naruto's secretary, that, that scene is where I can see where he got his nomination. I, I said out loud after that scene, that's the four-year consideration scene. Yeah, he's, he is really fucking good at it. But I'm sorry, one scene should not get you an Oscar nomination. Like, like I said to you before, I was trying to find YouTube clips of this movie because when I find when I when I have in my notes scenes that I like, I actually go revisit them on YouTube before we record so they're fresh in my mind. And I really wanted to find that one because that is just such a good scene. Him, uh, yep. him reading uh, Pablo's secretary's letter and his disappointment over it. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yep. And I wanted to find it again. and I couldn't. 
So I looked up the script for the movie and I'm reading over the dialogue. And I'm like, this script is, like, is not very good for this scene. It's just stammery and and uninteresting. But it's his performance just brings it to life. And his conflict between his disappointment and his, uh, yeah, him, him trying to remain optimistic in the face of his disappointment uh, is a super well performed scene. That was that was one of my favorite favorite moments of the movie as well. Yeah, me too. It's it's the best acted moment of the movie by mm-hmm. like by far. Uh, Mario making the tape for Pablo, it's really well done and a really sweet gesture. Absolutely. I think it's, it's really, it's a lot of fun. The voiceover, uh, that Mario has, uh, saying what he, like explaining what he's doing while you're watching on screen, them recording those noises. I think it's phenomenal. I think it was really good. Again, this is one of the better parts of the movie. Yeah, I I think we seem to sort of be in agreement that the romance aspect of the movie really is where it falls flat. Big I think time. Mario Mar- Mario's character arc, even though you've said you don't necessarily like Mario all that much as a as a person, being a little bit uh, you know pathetic, or creepy, or however you want to describe him, I think this scene of him recording all the noises for Pablo as a way to show the growth he's undergone directly because of Pablo's poetry mm-hmm. is a really nice way of doing it. Him initially not being able to see beauty anywhere in the world, except for Beatrice and then listing all these beautiful things that he now sees that he gets to send off to his friend. I think it's a really great moment. I, I like that as a, as a, uh, a terminus, I guess for his, uh, for his journey. Mm, I like that interpretation. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to get to, Despite my mm, displeasure for Choisi's performance, and again, my utter shock that this was a nominated performance, uh, I'm going to touch on the part that angers me the most. Okay, let's go. Why the fuck does Mario have to die? Yeah, that was what I speculated at the time, and I was not able to find confirmation over this. It felt like this was a tacked on ending that had been edited in after Massimo's death in real life. It felt like trying to draw parallels between real life and the movie. I have no idea if that's true. If it was written this way, it is incredibly weird and clunky. And even if it was done after the fact, it is still weird and clunky. But that's what it felt like to me. It felt like they were just trying to pay tribute to Massimo. I don't know what it was for. It made no sense. It's it's a poor decision that completely upset me. I mm-hmm. was just like, what the fuck? Also, when they're showing the flashbacks to his death... They have a very playful score. There's this yes. riot going on of these of these of this co- uh, communist I don't know uh, assembly, and then uh, it's getting broken up by the police, and there are people being beaten. There, uh, from my understanding, people being shot, and there's a very playful score over top of it. That was one of the reasons why I thought this part had potentially been tacked on after the fact because it would make sense that they would not have recorded a score for this moment beforehand. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one of the things that led me to believe that because I, I noticed the same thing. It's it's very tone deaf. Yeah, The, the big score time. they choose to put underneath it. Yeah. Not nearly ominous enough. It would kind of be like the score for the 
here here's <laughs> here's my here's my just off the top of my head uh comp you have the opening score from catch me if you can okay yeah over top of the oh captain my captain scene in dead poet society <laughs> that's that's a pretty good comparison okay let me let me see if i can think of one i i the one that came to mind for me was the opening score to the TV show Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know that score. Oh, sh- look it up after. It's dead on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you probably even know the song. The opening title to Curb Your Enthusiasm over top of, like, um, the... Wade's death in Saving Private Ryan. Yes. Thank you. I, I was I was going to go with um, the-, the climactic scene of Schindler's List where he's saying he could have saved more. <laughs> 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 that might have been a little bit too much. But yeah, that's that's the comparison I would have made. That's everything I have on El Postino. Uh the only other thing that I have uh let me see here. Um Yeah, I think I think that's just about everything. Oh god, I thought I had something else. Oh, um Pablo Neruda um don't really care for his character all no. that much. Kind of uninteresting. Very. Um, I like their friendship sometimes, but then he just drops off the face of the earth and has no redemption at all. He comes back into the movie and does not have any redemption. Yep. So, yeah, kind of a head scratch of the way his character is treated. Yeah. Uh, all right, I got some trivia for you. Yeah, okay. Uh, like we already said, uh, writer, co-director, star Massimo Truisi postponed heart surgery so he could complete the film. The day after filming was complete, he suffered a fatal heart attack which is insane, obviously. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, Massimo Truisi was so weak that it was only possible for him to work for about an hour each day. Most of his scenes were shot in one or two takes. A shooting schedule was designed to allow the film to be shot around him. This was aided greatly by the fact his stand-in bore such a striking resemblance to Truisi. He was used for all back-to-camera, long-medium shots, and most of the bicycle-riding sequences. Director Michael Radfors has said that watching the film after it was cut together, even he was unable to tell the difference between the two men. Mm. Uh, a public square on uh, Procida, one of the islands where the movie was shot, was named after the late Massimo Troisi to homage his last performance. And this shocked me, but Massimo Troisi's best actor, Oscar-nominated performance, was the only one in the category in a Best Picture nominee that year. None of the other Best Picture nominees had a Best Actor nomination. Huh. That's very surprising, and probably would have also been the case if this movie had not been nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, is this performance better than Tom Hanks in Apollo 13? No, it's not. Yeah. Oh, it's not. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't find any casting what-ifs, and even if I did, they would have been Italian actors, and we wouldn't have heard of them anyways. Unless it was Roberto Benigni. Yep. <laughs> Recast this movie with Roberto Benigni and it's already better. Oh, fuck. I'd be all over this. He would have been fantastic in this role. Any movie coming from Italy, and if, if you are familiar with Italian cinema, I mean, no disrespect to you or your most beloved actors, but put Roberto Benigni in any Italian film, it becomes 100% better, and it's a fact, and you can't prove it otherwise. Oh, yeah. Um. Okay. All right, a favorite quote. I didn't have a lot. I, I found two. <laughs> I've got three. I've got you beat. Oh, you do. Shit. Okay, go for it. Okay. Uh, I've got one from Mariel. Poetry doesn't belong to those who write it. It belongs to those who need it. Ah, 
Ah, shit, I meant to include that one. Okay. All right, I got another one from Mario. Your smile spreads like a butterfly. Ah, uh, you softy. And the last one is from the Aunt Donna Rosa. When a man starts to touch you with words, he's not far off with his hands. <laughs> Wise lady. Yes. That's what All I right, got. We have, we have no overlap whatsoever with our best quotes. Interesting. Because um, I only have two. Oh, okay. I have uh, Pablo. Man has no business with the simplicity or complexity of things. Uh, and then from Mario, when he's talking to Pablo, he says, I also liked it when you said, I'm tired of just being a man because that happens to me too, but I didn't know how to say it. In that moment, I felt like I, even though I am not a poetry person, as I've said, I felt like I understood his connection to, to poetry in, in that moment. Like he under, it clarified his view of the world a little bit. So I like those two. Manny, what's your favorite? Uh, I should state as well that I am not into poetry. Yeah. Unless it is by the renowned poet. Dr. Seuss. Um, My favorite quote is, poetry doesn't belong to those who write it. It belongs to those who need it. Yeah, that's a good one. And I'm going to go with, uh, I'm tired of just being a man, that uh, that whole quote. All right. Favorite scene, despite my displeasure or dislike for this film, I have five. Oh, me too. All right. I've got Mario meets Beatrice and plays foosball. Mm -hmm. I've got Beatrice and her aunt, the metaphors scene. I've got Mario getting the letter. I've got making the tape to send to Pablo. And then Pablo listening to the tape. Mm. What have you got? I've got five as well. So I have the metaphors scene. Uh, not the one between Beatrice and Auntie Donna Rosa, but where Pablo is first explaining what a metaphor is to Mario. Yeah, okay. I have that one. Uh, I have the foosball scene mm-hmm. uh, with Beatrice, uh, Aunt Donna Rosa, and uh, Pablo talking about uh, the letter. Okay. Or the, uh, the, the poem, rather, that uh, that Mario had plagiarized from him and, mm-hmm. and uh, read to Beatrice. Uh, Beatrice. Uh, the I, I have Mario... Um, receiving the letter from Pablo's secretary and yep. his ensuing disappointment and monologue. Um, and then the scene of him recording all of the beautiful things he found on his island. Those are the five that I have. All right. Who do you got? What's your best scene? Um, a couple good candidates in there, but I think I'm just going to give it to um, the monologue after he receives the letter from Pablo's secretary. Yeah, I've got the same. Mario getting the letter and his monologue. Mm-hmm. All right. Closing credits for El Postino. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? No. I, I like Massimo's performance, and uh, I-, I like the direction that he was able to take with it. Um, he- Maybe this is reading into it after the fact, but it felt like he sort of found a way to use his sickness and make it a little bit of a quieter role. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't make it Oscar-worthy. It's good, but... There, there are better performances this year. You're right, Manny. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I didn't hate this performance. I, in no way, shape, or form do I think it is a bad performance. I know I, I, in retrospect of everything I've said, I know it comes across that way. That's not the case. He is perfectly fine. But there are numerous other performances from this year alone that should have been recognized over this performance. So I don't believe that he was... I don't think that he was worthy of his Oscar perform- his Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what other aspects of the film are award worthy? It got nominated for what? Sorry, screen. Did it get a screenplay nomination? Oh God, it did. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> picture, director, actor, screenplay, and score. 
I like the score. I think that's a good choice. Screenplay is questionable. Uh, the movie looks beautiful, but only because of where it's shot, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I agree. You can't necessarily hold that against it, but eh, yeah, cinematography would be a stretch. That's a um, big stretch. I think I think they got it right as far as the technical aspects. I like the score nomination and the writing nomination is questionable. Jesus. Yeah. There's no other aspects. In fact, some of the uh some of the nominations that got I feel are unworthy. Uh weak link of the film. I mean, we just said it was nominated, but could it be the screenplay? It just the the love the love story in particular uh really falls flat and uh, doesn't have a lot of life to it. Yeah. Other than a, a handful of scenes. Let's see who's adapted screenplay. Who did it lose to? Oh, Sense and Sensibility next week. Ooh, look forward to that. Oh, and I've seen all five of the films. Well, no, sorry, I have I haven't seen Sense and Sensibility. Another movie I haven't seen yet. I'm excited. Oh, for really? Next, I'm not excited. Yeah. Oh wow, two weeks in a row. Look at us go. I know, right? Uh, but Apollo 13, Babe, Leaving Las Vegas, and El Postino. Uh. <sighs> I, I, I might agree with you here. I, I don't think the screenplay is all that great. Oh, God. <laughs> the, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to be shitty here. I'm going to be it. shitty. Okay, I'm going to be shitty. Okay, do it. First time ever. Man, he's going to be shitty on the I podcast. Know. Weak leak in the film. Massimo Truisi. No, come on. If the... It, not his performance him if you had somebody that was not literally dying yeah it's true i think this movie would be better it's his lack of energy that i i I, like i said i didn't know that before i watched it and Mm -hmm. so maybe part of that seeped into me because i felt it i'm like this movie has Zero energy because Massimo Truisi had no fucking energy because he had a fucking bum ticker. So I don't know. It, you put somebody else in that role, and like right now, I can't get the thought of Benini out of my mind. Yeah. But if you, even if you put Benini in this role, it's still a movie about a guy who loves Spanish poetry who falls in love with a girl who he has no connection with, basically. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go with screenplay. I'll go with screenplay. Yeah. Was this anyone's career highlight? I mean, I hope it's Troisi's. <laughs> I hope it's worth it for him. He never. He would never even know. Um, let's see here. The director. Uh, I only recognize one movie. Oh, wait. Is that even the movie I'm thinking of? Never mind. That's not even the movie I'm thinking of, so I can't say it's that one. Michael Radford. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, his uh, the commentary on this film uh, was a fucking snooze fest. Was it? Yeah. I uh, I definitely enjoyed the movie more than the commentary. Mm. Uh, wow. Yeah. It was the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not. Uh, not. I, I don't. I. I don't know. I guess this would be his career highlight. He got a best director nomination for it. Yeah. It looks like it. Uh, holy, hold on. Wait one second. Uh, Is that another one? He, oh. Okay. He had two, he had two Oscar nominations, but that's because, uh, he, he got 
apparently he somehow got an Oscar nomination for the screenplay, even though he's not on the screenplay. Hmm, that's weird. Okay, so this is his career highlight. Yes, it is, because I'm looking at all the awards that he's ever been up for, and almost all of them are Il Postino. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is his career highlight. I agree. Oh, thank God he's not making any more. Okay, uh, MVP of the film. Hmm. Um, that's kind of interesting. You you said he was the weak link, but my my instinct is to go with Massimo Teresi. I he he is the MVP of the film. Okay. He had like he really picks it up at the end. Some great performances. I I put him as the weak link because if you replace him with somebody that is not dying. I think the movie works better. So if I can put words in your mouth, he is the best part of the movie, but so would literally any other lead, I guess is what you're saying. If if they if they this this role has the potential to be spectacular. Obviously, yeah. he gets an Oscar nomination for it. And again, like I said, I he is not bad in this movie. I mm. just don't think that I, I just think there are numerous other performances from this year that are better than this. We almost just made history with the same weak link and MVP. <laughs> yeah. I still he he has to be the MVP because nobody That's else because because nobody else in this movie is really all that great. There's nobody bad. There's again, there's nothing bad about this movie. It just was so completely underwhelming to me. Yeah. So I I don't know. MVP of the film, the fucking scenery. Or or it's Massimo Truisi. But yeah. but the week, like I said, the only weak link of the film for me is his energy level. If Massimo Truisi wasn't dying, I bet you he doesn't give that performance. The weak link is heart disease. Yeah, the weak link is heart disease. <laughs> All right. Uh, what will be this film's legacy? Uh, that movie that Massimo Truisi fucking died to make. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, is there anything else? It doesn't really have much of a legacy. Again, if you try to find anything on this movie outside of Wikipedia and uh, and IMDb, it you could have convinced me this movie doesn't exist. Yes. Yes. In spite of having been nominated for Best Picture. Yes. Yeah, I agree. The, this film's legacy is this is Massimo Truisi's literal final performance because he dies less than 24 hours after finishing filming it. Mm-hmm. Would you watch this movie again, Sam? Uh, it would it would have to be a very specific context. I don't see myself going out of my way to watch it. And believe me, I would very much have to go out of my way to watch it. Because like I said, this movie doesn't fucking exist anywhere. I can, I can foresee a situation where 10, 15 years down the line, it somehow shows up on whatever streaming service we're using at that time as a society. And I go, oh, hey, this is the movie that guy died to make. I wonder if it's any good. And then I'll watch it again, but... I have no plans to. I have no plans to. I have no plans to ever watch this movie again. Yeah. Ever. Would you recommend this movie to friends? If this movie was readily available, would you recommend this movie to friends? Yeah, you could you could see my hesitation a little bit on that. Even if it was readily available, I don't know. If there was somebody who was really into poetry, and by the way, apparently uh, Pablo Neruda is a, a very famous poet. Oh, he I, is. I am unaware of any of his work at all. 
if I knew somebody was really into poetry and particularly really into Pablo Neruda, I would be like, oh, check out this movie. You'll just, you know, like you, you might, you might get something out of it. You might have a connection to it, but it would have, it would, that's the, a very specific situation. Uh, in general, probably not. There's no way I, I would recommend this to mm. anybody ever. No, not a chance. Sam, your final thoughts on El Pastino. You know, I'm not as um, down on this movie as, uh, as as Manny. Believe me, off the top of the episode when I was talking about how not excited I was to do this episode, I was not expecting to be the one defending this film at <laughs> all. I was not expecting the turn that this episode took. Um, it's got a handful of good moments and a pretty good performance by Massimo Teresi. It's worth watching, um, I guess, for the knowledge... <laughs> that this guy died making this movie that morbid fact alone makes it interesting to watch i guess maybe <laughs> maybe uh, um yeah i was neither um disappointed nor overwhelmed with surprise at this movie it existed it's a foreign film that i'll probably never check out again it has its moments but it's kind of whatever the only reason to watch this movie is twofold. One, to see the movie that Massimo Truisi died making. And two, to be a best picture completist. Mm-hmm. Other than, we chose the latter. And we chose the latter because I didn't know about his Truisi's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this movie is not unenjoyable. And I, despite everything that I've said in this episode definitely would lead you to believe that i wasn't sitting there dreading watching this movie this is not secrets and lies no 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 no. but did you give secrets and lies a one by the way i i must have i think i gave it a two hold on as a matter of fact i know i gave it a two hold on i'll give you the exact answer whoops pulling it up right now yeah i am uh secrets and lies oh we both gave it a two wow wow I'm actually astounded I gave it a two. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that uh, that shocks me. Um, <sighs> it's not as bad <laughs> as everything I've been saying. It does have its moments, especially at the end. But that lack of energy because of Troisi's illness, really, I really felt it. And I'm, kind of lackluster screenplay as well. Yeah. It's it's a, and a lackluster chemistry between uh, the two leads and a lack of buildup of the romance. Um, it's just it's just not, in my opinion, a best picture nominee worthy film. The movie is just fine, and that's the best I'm willing to give it. Sam. We're at the point. It's time to rate the movie. What are you giving? Il Postino. Oh man, I don't. I really don't know. Um, this is kind of a hard one because, on the one hand, it does have a number of enjoyable moments, and I do like the performance in general from Massimo Troisi, and it has that legacy of being the last film he ever made that he died to make, which inherently is a little interesting itself. Um, oh, but 
I just said that I, I wouldn't recommend this movie to anyone except in the most dire extreme of circumstances. And I probably won't watch it again myself. So that probably means it's a two. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to go with the two. Good for go you, this. Sam. This is a two for me. God, I hate giving twos, especially for ones that, you know, I there's merit to this movie. There's definitely merit to this movie. Um, but I'm not going to watch it again. No. <laughs> it's, I'm not going to watch it. No, I, I honestly can never see myself going, let's put on El Postino. I just can't. I can't. It's a two. It's an easy two for me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a border. It's almost a three. Almost gets elevated there, but there's just not enough good moments. Not even close. This is an easy two. Never close to a one. Not even approaching a three. Two. Mm-hmm. Twos across the board. Samuel, what's going on next week? Next week, we're going to be rounding out the Best Picture nominees from 1995. Going to be talking about, for the second week in a row, a movie that neither Manny and I have seen. I am very excited about this. Sense and Sensibility, episode 152. Sam, do you know... Oh, sorry, I cut you off there. I I was just going to say I don't really know what to expect. I know it's, it's based off a book, right? Jane Austen? Jane Austen, yeah. Um, I, I am going to go on a limb and say that we are not the target demographic of most Jane Austen novels, especially you know, in the modern day. Do you know what I completely forgot about next week? What's that? It's directed by Ang Lee. Really? Yes. <laughs> that is news to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I completely forgot that we're about to watch an Ang Lee film. And you know what? The one Ang Lee romance movie that I have seen, Brokeback Mountain, is exceptionally good. Can I give you another reason why next week could be a good week for us? Okay. Next week is going to be the highest rated Metascore movie that we reviewed in 1995. At what? 84. That's pretty good. Yeah. What did Babe have? 83. 83. Okay, well, I'll remind you the uh, the top-rated movie from Secrets and Lies year was Secrets and Lies. <laughs> That's true. So be wary, my friend. That's true. Uh, I'm actually going into next week uh, with, uh, I don't want to say high expectations, but I, I have a feeling that next week is going to be good. I do. You know, I, I have an honest feeling that next week is going to be a good film. This is probably an immature feeling, but it's what I'm feeling, so I'm just going to say it. Um, I have no experience with Jane Austen whatsoever, no direct experience anyway, um, and I don't really have any desire to have any experience with Jane Austen. From everything that I've gathered about uh, about uh, Pride and Prejudice in particular, um, I just it just does not seem up my alley even a little bit. Mm-hmm. It is like a, a, a Victor- I think Victorian era or, or maybe Reconstruction era for Pride and Prejudice in particular, a, a Reconstruction era romance uh directed primarily at women it just has never really appealed to me and i don't know much about sense and sensibility in and of itself but uh let's say i'm going in with very little expectation and i will hope to be pleasantly surprised you saying that it's is it angley angley i never know how to pronounce it both yeah the fact that mr lee is directing the movie uh has just raised my my hopes for next week infinitely but I'm still going in blind, so as blind as possible. So, uh, so now I, I'm somewhat looking forward to it. I hope I didn't wreck it by uh, saying it was no, by no, 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 okay. No, 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 no. no. Um, you will. I will inevitably always have some, something spoiled for me. I, I don't go in with the expectation of knowing nothing whatsoever. 
it's okay. impossible to go in completely blind. That's true. I'm 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 now I was somewhat looking forward to next week. Now I'm actually kind of really looking forward to it. Yeah, now now I'm somewhat curious. Yeah. For sure. All right. So it should be good, better than this week. So please remember to <laughs> rate review so and This episode wound up actually being kind of fun, did it not? Of course it did. Yeah. Yeah. I was I had life. I was like fuck. We have to talk about this movie, and I'm gonna have to be the positive. I thought I was gonna be the one shitting on it. I did not expect to be the one defending it, um, but it wound up wound up being pretty fun. Usually the ones that are that are twos kind of are. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. You give us a five star rating, a positive review. It does increase the profile of our podcast. Allows more people to find us. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore Movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can email us at Sam Manny Movie Podcast at gmail.com. So for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Arriva Derchi. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.